All right, let's go ahead and open our prayers. We get ready for the message today. Lord, we just thank you for that we've had the opportunity to sing and worship you by, by singing. We ask you to be with us as we look at your word and as we keep examining the foundations of what we believe and that you will guide and lead in all that we do. And we just thank you in your son's precious name. Amen. We're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 3. And I was thinking about this. I usually don't put a name on the sermons until after I preach them. But I, would, I was thinking about this one. This is, we're going to study the second saddest day in history. <laughs> because this is the fall of man. And it was because of this we get to the first saddest day of history, which would be the crucifixion of Jesus. But we want to look at this, the fall of man. Man created perfect. Created to have dominion in this world. And we're going to fall. And, you know, we're going to look at this in verse, chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, has God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God does know that in the day that you eat there, thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and that a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them were both opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. I'm going to stop there. We see the story, man perfect, the garden's perfect. Remember last week we talked about God creating this garden, putting them in there, and they had to tend the garden, which we talked about, you know, how hard was it to, de to deal with a garden that is perfect in the first place, you know, might be, I think we might put a tree over here or a tree over there, but, you know, they didn't have a very hard <laughs> job. And most of us wish that we could have a job as easy as they did, but their sin is going to produce hard work. And it says the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. There is some controversy on what this serpent was on this particular statement. Uh, there are and most people believe, and this is the way I was taught in Sunday school, that the serpent was a possessed animal by, the, by Satan. Uh, but Satan is also described as the great dragon, the great serpent. So it could very easily have just been him <laughs> in the garden. And I'm tending, I've tended for many years to believe that it was Satan himself in that garden, whether he looked like a serpent or whatever. He definitely had the reputation, and he was, had been named serpent in this. And uh, there's other places that call him the great dragon. And if you read any kind of books on science fiction and everything, dragons are considered serpents in most cases. So it doesn't really matter whether, it is, whether he was Satan himself or a possessed serpent. Uh, but I tend to believe that it was Satan himself that shows up in his format that God has had, had, had talked about him in. But he was subtle. He was crafty. And this is kind of an interesting thing. You've got these people that are pure of heart, never had to deal with any sin, never had to deal with deception, and all of a sudden Satan himself starts talking to them. And you've got to think, uh, they were outmatched from the very beginning. 
If they weren't going to depend on God, they were going to be very outmatched. And this is one thing we tell people, don't ever try to battle with Satan on yourself. Nowhere in the scriptures does it tell us to talk to the demons or talk to the, to the Satan. All it tells us is to cast them out. And even when Jesus was going about, there's only one time that he actually talked with them other than to tell them to be quiet. And that was when he was talking to the one that said his name was Legion because there are many. That's the only place that Jesus even is recorded as talking to them. In most cases, he said, get out, and he told them to be quiet about who he was. So we want to be able to look at this. This was a situation that was going to be pretty interesting in the first place. They should have been able to just say, no, we're gonna, we don't know who you are. We're going to wait till we talk to God. How many times do we talk about the sinful things, and we think about the sinful things instead of thinking about God? This is, the pattern has not changed. Satan does not change his patterns ever. Every time that a quote-unquote new religion comes out, it's just a revamping of some older, older religion. You know, what we call the New Age religions are the same Gnostic religions of, of Jesus, uh, the Jesus and the Apostles' days, which are the same Mystery Babylon from Nimrod's day. So he does not change anything, and his temptation does not change. We're going to look at this, and he says, the first thing he did, it says, Hath God said, ye shall not eat of all the trees of the garden? His first thing that he does every time he tempts us, is God truthful? What do you know about God? How many times have you said something and then went into the scriptures and found out that it wasn't true? You know, if you're around me long enough and you say something that, isn't, that I don't know is in scripture or have my questions, I'm going to ask, where is it? Where do you find that? And you know, it's kind of sad because oftentimes, especially if you grow up in a church, you were taught things in Sunday school that may not have been true. Or you've listened to enough pastors that you may have picked up some things that aren't true. This is why Paul commended the Bereans saying, you go back and you check out what I say. And I've already shared with you, I want everybody in this church to be good Bereans. If I say something, go back and check it out. I can be wrong. Matter of fact, a couple months ago, I was wrong and got called on it. Somebody sent me an email saying, where is this found? And I researched it and found out that I attributed it to a grandparent instead of an uncle. <laughs> now, not a big deal, but it's still one of those things. And the next week, I came back and I told you that I had, I had said it wrong. But you know, these are the things we need. Some of the things can be serious. If somebody can say something and be totally wrong, and we need to be able to be correctable. You know, I, you know, I heard you say this. You know, this is what I thought you said, or this is what I heard, or this is what you said. You know, is that true? And that, give them a chance to defend what it is or say, oh, my goodness, I did say that wrong. Because <laughs> it's easy to say something wrong when you're teaching. It really is. And if you're ever in a church or with a pastor who says, believe me because I said it and don't worry about checking it out, get as far away from that pastor as possible and teacher as possible. They may or may not be right on that particular saying, but they're setting you up to take you down the wrong path. Maybe not even necessarily on purpose. You know, they could just get hold of a wrong doctrine and start growing and not having it checked. But we need to get into the scriptures. No matter when you hear something, when you hear somebody teach you something, go check it out. Because they can be wrong. And Satan's first attack was, didn't God say you could eat all, of, all the trees? <laughs> little bit of doubt there. 
And Eve's answer was the good answer. So she goes, uh, we can eat of all the trees in the garden, except the one in the very center. And God said that we shall not eat of it or touch it, lest we die. Now, there's a problem with her statement. Actually, there's two problems with this statement. Number one, it isn't exactly what God told them. But we've got to give her credit because God told, as far as we understand in, in the second chapter of Genesis, God told Adam not to eat of the tree and not Eve. Okay? And God's words to Adam was, you shall not eat of the tree for the day that you eat it of it, you shall surely die. Eve's statement is, we can't eat it or touch it. And she didn't say surely die, she said, lest we die. All right, so we have added words to it, and we have a weakening of what she was, what she was told. I personally believe that Adam was the one that told her this stuff and not, not God. Uh, it's a very big habit of the Jews to put what they call fences around his laws, which means they add to them. And the reason is that they don't want you to accidentally break the law. So they give you all kinds of rules that keep you so far from the law that if you break their rules, you don't break the law. I kind of think that's what Adam did to Eve here. Uh, we're not to eat of that tree. And oh, by the way, we're not even to touch it. <laughs> okay. Which makes sense. If you didn't touch a tree, there's no way you could eat the fruit. Uh, but, and then she weakened this whole thing and said, lest you die. God said you would die. Eve saying, well, we might die if we do this. If we weaken God's laws, we sometimes think we can cross them. God says, don't lie. You know, we're to, we're to be people that tell the truth. How many times do we as humans go, well, you know, it really hurt this person's feelings if I told them the truth, so I'm just not going to tell the truth in this case. We weaken his rules and say, well, there, there's some extenuating circumstances, so therefore we can not necessarily keep their law. Uh, you know, thou shalt not commit fornication or adultery. And people go, well, you know, everybody, everybody does it, so it's no big deal. <laughs> it's a big deal to God. He hasn't said sometime in the future you can break these, break these rules because it's going to be the sinful man's desire to break them. So we see Eve given the wrong answer. She's weakening God's punishment. And sometimes, especially we as Christians, will go, well, we live under grace. God's going to forgive us. Well, you know what? God's going to forgive us. Yes, that is true. If we're in Christ Jesus, he will forgive us. There's still going to be consequences for those sins. How many times have I talked to young people, especially, that are getting ready to get married, and I ask them, is this potential mate a Christian? Well, no, but I really see, think God's telling me to marry them. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. God says, don't be unequally yoked. And then they go ahead and get married in spite of what God says because they think that they know better. And then they come back to you with all their gripes and complaints of, well, how do I fix this? Well, you, fixed it by going, you fix it by going back and not, do, not disobeying God in the first place. But at this point, you're going to have to live with the consequences. And this is something we do as Christians so often violate God's rules and then try to figure out how to get out of the consequences. And God doesn't usually let us out of the consequences. If you're going to violate his laws, you will have to face the consequences. Sometimes they're pretty tough. Sometimes 
they even hurt our life. People who will go out and commit fornication with just anybody and everybody and end up with sexually transmitted diseases and sometimes die because of it. People who pollute their body with all the drugs and everything and then wonder why they're sick and very sickly in their older age because they destroyed their body at their younger age. We violate God's rules and there's consequences that are going to be faced. Eve softened those ones down. She added to it. And the serpent jumped on that and said, you shall not surely die. <laughs> okay, kind of interesting he used God's words. <laughs> You will not definitely die. He's kind of agreeing with, with Eve at the same time. You know, we can't touch, eat or touch this tree and we might die. And he's going, you won't die. She's already got that doubt in her mind. She's already got this doubt in her mind about eating this food and not dying. And Satan is saying, well, you surely won't die. Now, straight out lie, but he is the father of lies. And Jesus said that when he speaks lies, he's speaking his native language. And this is an interesting thing. When Satan speaks, and we see it all through the scriptures, he lies. He deceives. He tries to get people to think that God is lying to them. What are the, some of the lies that he tells us? You know, he, he always is going against the veracity of God. He'll tell people, God can't love you and you've done that. Have you ever been in a place where you've done something wrong and you get that lie thrown into your head or, and you think, well... I'm just so bad, God cannot forgive me or love me because of this. Even though we know that God does, even though we know God says he's going to, so often that is thrown into our brain. I'm just so bad. This is just such a big mistake, and especially if I knew better. You know, I knew I shouldn't have done this, and I did it anyway. There's no way God can love me. Satan will lie to us in that nature. God's just trying to hold you back. He doesn't want you to have any fun. <laughs> what he's telling Eve right now, <laughs> God's just trying to hold you back because he knows that the, there's great benefit if you do this. How many times have we thought about that? Well, God's just a killjoy. He doesn't want me to have any fun. Well, ultimately, he wants us to have a lot of fun <laughs> obeying him and being blessed in his obedience. Just as us when we were parents told our kids, no, you can't do that. Not because we were trying to not make sure they had no fun in their life, but because we knew that if they went to this party with their friend's house with no parents' home, that there was going to be drugs and alcohol or worse going on in the, in the party. But we get to be looking at the mean people who just don't want them to have fun. And yet sometimes even we don't look at God that same way. We kind of look the way at God like teenagers. You just don't want me to enjoy life. And God's saying, no, I don't want you to have to suffer consequences. So we look at this, and Eve is being told that God has lied to her. This is very straight, straight up. And then he goes in verse 5, For God does know that in the day you eat thereof it, you will have your eyes open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Here's that example. He's trying to keep you from something. There's a really good experience here if you just follow it. Even though God said, don't do it. How often do we do that in our life? Knowing what God wants us to do and falling down into some temptation and, and, and sin because it's got some great value. I was listening to one of the pastors on the radio talking about how he got into drugs and alcohol because they were saying, this is how you become aware. This is how you get special knowledge. And he started going down the drug path because he was looking for that special 
awareness, special knowledge. That's Satan's lie frequently. You've got to do this. You know, what's he telling to us young people? Well, you can't get married until you've lived together with somebody and found out whether you're compatible. Commit fornication until, until you find out that you're compatible, and then they get married and they end up getting divorced even quicker than they would have if they had not lived together in most cases. It's an amazing thing. You violate God's principles, and there's consequences. And Satan saying, hey, there's something, there's something there. Verse 6 says, And when the women saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat. I'm going to stop there for just a moment. Because this kind of takes us to a different place. Eve has met the serpent near the tree. How many times do we draw close to a temptation and then wonder why we fell into the temptation? You know, we, we uh, have some problem. You know, maybe, you know, maybe we have a problem with fornication and we go to the place where the people are looking for that kind of relationship. And uh, you'll go to the singles bar looking for, the, looking for people that are wanting that kind of relationship and then wondering why we committed fornication. Why when we have problems with gossip and we hear bits and pieces of gossip instead of stopping people from gossip, then we wonder why we spread the gossip. We're standing there by the temptation. Eve obviously is standing next to the tree looking at it. Probably already thinking the things that the devil's telling her. Boy, that's a pretty nice looking piece of fruit. I wonder why God said we couldn't eat it. It sure looks good. It looks, t- looks tastier than the rest of the fruit in this, in, this, in this garden. How often do we do that in our life? Stand next to the forbidden fruit and say, wow, it sure looks interesting. It doesn't look like it's going to hurt me. And then end up partaking of that fruit. She was there by the tree, testing herself. And Focus on the Family has a, has a series on teaching young people about staying away from fornication. And one of their examples is they, they ask, how close would you bring this person to danger? And the one, you know, these guys go, well, I would come this close, that close. And this one guy goes, I'd get as far away from the danger as possible. I don't want them to be hurt. When we're dealing with temptation, that should be our attitude. The temptation's over there. I'm going over that way. <laughs> Get as far away from the temptation as possible. If you're somebody that has problems with, with drugs or alcohol, you don't go to the places where your friends are drinking and, and, and shooting up and say, I wonder why I, fell, you know, why I ended up falling. Well, it's obviously you're with them and you had a problem with it. No, we don't do that. We don't hang out with people that are going to help us into that sin. We, we stay away from the temptation. Now, can we stay completely away from the temptation? No. Satan could have just as easily have met her at the edge of the garden and talked to her about this tree. But you know, when you're, when you're a far, far away from the temptation, you have to go to the temptation to fall. That's a very conscious choice. It's not just reaching out and saying, I'm, I've been tempted. Now, if you had to travel three miles to go to the temptation, you've got three miles for you to reconsider. And that's a very conscious choice. Eve standing right there. What's worse? We finish that verse. And she gave unto her husband with her, and he did eat. 
I have a very low opinion of Adam in this particular case. <laughs> Adam let his helpmate talk to the serpent. Didn't correct her when she weakened the command. Didn't correct her about what God said. Didn't correct the, Satan when he said you won't die. It became very obvious he wanted this as much as Eve was wanting it. He did not protect his wife. They were supposed to be helpers and helpmates. Somebody that he loved so much that he would have, should have been willing to protect her from this, this transgression. Because it says he was with her. And it took me years to really see that. Adam wasn't in some other part of the garden while Eve was being tempted. They were together. And it makes sense. There's only two of them. Who else is he going to be with? Now, it makes sense that he was with her in the garden when she was being tempted. And again, why were they anywhere near the tree? They only had one rule in, the, in, their, in their life. That was to stay away from that tree. You know, don't eat the tree of this tree. And yet we find that they're right there by the tree. And we've all been tempted, so I know what they were doing. They were, they were there looking at the tree. Kind of wondering, you know, even though they didn't have a sin nature, I wonder why God said this tree we can't eat. Curiosity. Any one of us would have been doing the same thing. You know, what's different about this tree that God says we can't eat it? You know, especially if it looked like all the other trees. Whenever we're told we can't do something, doesn't that become something we just desperately want to do? You, know, you, you can't drive down the highway at 100 miles an hour. I'm a speed demon. I would love to drive down the highway at 100 miles an hour. But all these cars with all the blue lights kind of keep me from going that fast. Uh, but I, I would love to drive. I'm tempted to, as a matter of fact, but I'm, going, I, I'm not going to. But when we're told we can't do something, that's when our, that's when our nature kind of goes up and says, why? Why can't I? Sometimes it's obvious. <laughs> You know, sometimes it's obvious. We tell our kids, don't put your hand on the hot stove. We have a good reason not to, but how many of us had to learn the hard way not to put our hand on the hot stove and end up needing some burn ointment on our hand because we put our hand on the hot stove or the fire or whatever it might be? Don't put your hand in the fire you know, at the campground. Well, I wonder why not. I can take that stick as they burn their, <laughs> burn their hands. Most of us have to learn the hard way not to, that there's reasons behind these rules. Adam and Eve are a classic example. They had to learn the hard way. It, and what did it cost? It cost the sin nature being in every single person from that time forward. They were fallen. They ate and their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together to make themselves aprons. They saw that they were naked. Some of this in this statement, and the Jews had this belief that they weren't truly naked as far as they're looking at each other. They were innocent and they were clothed with righteousness and all that, all that material. Uh, and I tend to believe that that may be a true statement. But when they were open, they were exposed. If nothing else, they were exposed to what they were. And they saw it. And because they're no longer innocent... There's guilt and condemnation that passes through them. When you sin and do something that you know is wrong, you become naked as far as people, you feel that everybody knows what you've done. 
you have that guilt. You're going, I can't be around people. I can't be around these people. They might just judge me. They might, they might know what I have done. And over 45 years of being in the church, I have seen it happen over and over again. Somebody falls into a sin. Very calm, They are in church all the time, and the next thing you know, you don't see them. Because when they're with God's people, they feel so condemned because they're not ready to repent to God and ask for forgiveness and just open up and say, I've, I've been wrong. Eventually, many of them will come back to church. Sometimes after just a few days or weeks or months, sometimes years, occasionally decades, where they fall so bad that they just feel they cannot come back to church. A lot of it is pride. I made a mistake, God's judged me, and I can't come back. God loves you. His people will love you. God forgives you. His people will forgive you. It says that love covers a multitude of sins. James says that he who, cover, who covers a, a sin loves that individual. Does that mean the sin was okay? Absolutely not. The sin was bad. The sin had consequences. But God is going to love us. He's going to restore us. He's going to give us grace. And we as his bride and as his church, we should forgive them, love them, give them grace. Don't keep throwing it back up in their face and saying, well, you know, you know you're, you're this, you're that. No, we love individuals. We build them up. Why? Because the blood of Christ covers the sin. The blood of Christ covers sin. And we need to live as if it's covered. Not judging people. Because none of us want to be judged. It's amazing to me how many people I meet that want to judge other people for their mistakes but don't want to be judged themselves. And it's like, if you don't want to be judged, quit judging them. Yes, they have mistakes. All of us have mistakes. I don't care how righteous or good you are, you're going to make a mistake and have fallen to sin. And you don't want everybody pointing out and saying, well, you're just such a sinner. You know, you know last week you did this. You know, three months ago you did this. Okay, yes, I did, and God's judged me for it, and he's forgiven, and he put it under the blood, and as far as he sees, I'm righteous. We're to build each other up. We're to edify one another. We're to lift one another up and say, you are precious in God's sight. God loves you. I love you. I want people to love me, so I'm going to love them. You know, our love is selfish. We want people to love us because, so we love them. God's love is unselfish. He loves us. The result is we're going to love him. But he loves us just because he created us. And we've shared this. This activity that we're talking about today did not surprise God. It's not a surprise to him that Adam and Eve sinned. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, before the foundation of the earth, before the creation of the earth, got together and we've shared this. They said, we're going we're to create this planet. We're going to create life on it. They're going to sin. And son, I want you to go give your life for them so we can redeem them. And Jesus said, okay. Because in Revelation, it tells us he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And we shared this with you. Why did God do this? Why would he create men knowing the cost that it was going to entail? I don't have an answer. <laughs> Believe me, if it was me, I'm gonna, I would have had second thoughts saying, oh, no, I'm not, that's not a price I'm willing to pay, but God said I'm going to pay it. It's a price I'm willing to pay. We're going to create these people. They're going to fall. We're going to redeem them. 
and then we're going to spend eternity with these people that we redeemed? You know, doesn't make any sense to us on, our, on an earthly basis, but it made sense to God. And their eyes were opened, and they made aprons out of fig leaves. Fig leaves, in this case, represent works. How often do we try to get rid of our guilt by doing works for God? I've seen lots of people who they work real hard, and you, try to, and you start digging in, why are you working? Well, I'm trying to get forgiveness. I'm trying to get God to love me. Here they were naked. They were trying to cover that nakedness up through works of their own. We can never do enough works to get forgiveness. This is what it tells us in the scriptures. All our righteousness in God's eyes are filthy rags, according to Isaiah 64, 6. Everything good I can do, God looks at it and says, well, it was nice, but uh, it's filthy rags. It doesn't forgive. It doesn't, doesn't give you anything. How many people have you talked to about God and they're going, well, I'm, I'm hoping to go to heaven and I'm hoping I'm good enough that God will take me in. Hope I've done more good than bad. If they actually stand before God with that mentality and they stand before God dressed in filthy rags, which is what they're hoping to do, God's going to say, depart. Depart from me. Filthy rags do not enter heaven. Only the righteousness of Christ enters heaven, and that's what we need to be clothed in. We have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We deserve punishment. And that's what God says. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. He's got a gift for each person, and that's Jesus Christ. And all we have to do is say, yes, I'm a sinner. I deserve punishment. God, I turn to you. Come into my life. And he makes us a new creation and clothes us in righteousness. It is such a valuable commodity to have, to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Because I can't do enough good to please God. If I could do enough good to please God, then Jesus died in vain. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Because he died for our sin. The sin that started with Adam and Eve. Next week we're going to look at the consequences, but God immediately told them that, his, that he had a plan, that he was going to come and crush the serpent's head and the serpent would bruise his heel. The first prediction of Jesus' coming was all the way back at right, at right after the first sin because God already knew it was going to happen. He knew it was going to happen. He had made provision. And we look at this. God, in verse 9, he comes in and God called out to Adam and Eve and said, Where are you? And we find that they were hiding in the trees. <laughs> the first question is, do we think that God didn't know where Adam and Eve are? <laughs> you know, uh, well, you, you sinned. I no longer know where you're at. <laughs> no. But he was giving them a chance to repent. And you know, God does this when we sin. He'll come along and say, where are you? He wants us to come to him, look for repentance and forgiveness. Hey, God, I really messed up. You know, please forgive me. I confess that I sinned. He's given Adam and Eve this chance to sin, to confess their sin. When we don't confess our sins, we draw away just like they did. God, I don't deserve to be near you. I'm going to pull away. I'm going to, 
I'm not coming to your church, God. Your people are there. Your, your presence is there. I'm going to stay as far from that there as possible. Like we can stay away from God. Now, we think about Jonah. Jonah just told to go to Nineveh, and he started to decide he was going to run from the presence of God. Now, he knew he couldn't do it. He knew that God was everywhere, and yet he figured if I leave Jerusalem and go the opposite way that he told me, I'll, be, I'll leave him behind. God is never left behind, but usually we do get rid of the symbol of God. We walk away from the church. We don't read our Bible. Why don't we do those things? Because they are definitely a representation of God right in our face. Because when you have a trouble area in your life, when you pick up the Bible and read, what do you usually read? <laughs> Something talking about confess, repent, or even straight up the sin that you were doing. You go to church and everything seems to be what you're doing what you've done wrong uh, and about confessing and repenting and even if it's not our mind is already guilty so we make everything about it <laughs> have you ever had somebody you're absolutely sure doesn't like you and they say good morning to you and you think they're they're being mean to you you know they haven't said anything wrong but you're just so convinced that they don't like you that the tone of their voice that you heard <laughs> was that they didn't like you they were just saying it because you were there. And they ask you, well, how are you doing? And you're thinking, they're just trying to get after me. You know, how often when we are guilty or having bad thoughts do we turn everything negative? Happens all the time. This happens with Adam and Eve. They're going, God's here. He wants to talk to us, but we're going to hide. We're guilty. We're hiding. We're going to go into the consequences of the sin next week. <laughs> So let's close in prayer. If you don't, if you have never don't know Jesus, or don't know that you don't know Him, very simple. Confess. Say, Lord, I, I am a sinner. I deserve punishment. Please come into my life. I repent of my sins and turn to you. If you say that simple of a prayer, come and talk to me because I'd love to know or talk to one of the other Christians because this is the most important decision you can ever make. It determines eternity. Lord, we just thank you for this day that we have. We thank you for the opportunity to listen to your word, to see how you love us, how you care for us, how you provided for us. We ask that you bless the, the time that follows as we sing some more songs and in the fellowship uh, to follow at the, at the covered dish dinner. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.